This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Misa. Hello, I'm Evan. Hello, I'm Terrence. And we're going to talk about the Ministry of Truth, the biography of George Orwell's 1984 by Dorian Linsky, published this year, June 2019. Um, we got the audiobook directly from the publisher, which is very nice. Um, and uh, I don't like the last chapter. <laughs> I think the afterwards okay. Um, but otherwise, I think it's a pretty good book. And two plus two equals five. There, there are four lights, Jesse. <laughs> I, I enjoyed this book, especially the first part, maybe because I learned the most. Mm, and yeah, well, it's really understanding yeah. Orwell's thought and the dialogue he was in. It was a really nice intellectual history. I thought the second half, not just the last chapter, was weak. It was a part I was looking most forward to, kind of the life of the book after Orwell's death. But I found it kind of be a grab bag of memes. Absolutely. And it was, it, you could have picked an entirely different grab bag, a set of memes, and it would have been very similar. Or, re- or references. Overall narrative, I, I kind of buy how it switches from the Cold War to the, you know, the 70s to the conservative revival and then the Trump years. But it's just, it's, it was too loosey-goosey, I thought. Yeah, yeah I, I liked each chapter, but I didn't like how it was put together. Did you so like, the first part even was let's do Orwell and then we'll throw in H.G. Wells and then yeah. go back to Orwell and throw in we. Yeah. I, I felt that too. But I, I thought it worked better in the first half than the second half. Which True. Was kind right. of a rant. I learned a lot, but I found it flat. It was, uh, it was had, pretty comprehensive at the, at the, oh, at the first. Like David Bowie and uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I liked the first half better I mean, I like the first stuff because to get in his head and and how historically accurate all of that stuff that I thought he made up was, but um, but I liked I liked to hear how it touched so many other people. Yeah, I learned something about David Bowie to be sure. <laughs> Just, you know, it, it, there could have been a section on the on the Star Trek on Picard with the Cardassians mm-hmm. or Babylon Five stuff could have there been thrown. Oh, he mentions yeah, he mentions all sorts of stuff. stuff. He read or, or he was interested in. Yeah, and it didn't didn't have that that rigor, I guess, that I, I felt in the first half, especially in the Orwell biography section. Absolutely. So, I like to think of it like a funnel. I mean, at the beginning, we get all these influences that influenced Orwell, Wells, and we, and all these other stuff, culminating towards the creation and Orwell's own early stuff, like say Animal Farm, culminating towards 1984. And then after that, it kind of spreads outwards. Like a shotgun of yeah. okay, this is what we saw in the '60s, and this is how the feeling, and here's the prisoner in '70s, and and the and momentum Britain. is gone by 2019, and and here's Bowie, so it's kind of like, and then now here's Trump, so it kind of that that shotgun, it's 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 a very different half than the first half, and I I learned it's, the most in the first half than in the second half. Yeah, it's kind of accurate though. Like that's kind of how it spread out. Like mm. that's what I liked about it is that I don't think I realized like quite how many places he'd like infiltrated the culture and how many mm-hmm. things I just kind of took for granted and it was cool to get that kind of like really wide scattershot view of like all these little places that he turns up 
Yeah, right. yeah there, are, there are big bl- blind spots, you know, uh, computer mm-hmm. games. Um, I don't think there was any mentioned. Maybe maybe there were, but they don't there stand up. Yeah, there could be books on that subject, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think America <laughs> overall was a big blind spot. And I, I know he, he even had a section where he talks about Orwell's anti-Americanism. Yeah. And he kind of inherits that in this part two. I know that America does show up a little bit in the second half, especially with Trump and in the 80s. But yeah. I don't know. I think there's something missing there. Certainly um, on tel- the television stuff, Orwell. You, you pointed out something, uh, a fact that uh, I I wasn't as far along when you did it on Twitter. Um, but you pointed out a fact where uh, that in the section of the of the book where this is all the stuff where, you know, when you're writing about history that happened 30 years ago rather than history that happened two months ago or two years ago, um, you have a lot better perspective and I think a lot better information and knowledge about about what's going on. Um, so, uh, like, as soon as Margaret Atwood's appendix theory showed up, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> because, I mean, uh, uh, she wrote a good book, but her theory is not good, I don't think. And I, I noticed that a lot of bad theories were sort of in the back half. But uh, what was the fact that you pointed out about China and 1984? Uh, well... He makes the comment, you can't search 1984. And I know, without a VPN anyway, obviously, I know that I've done that. I, I mentioned Orwell in class, and in a VPN, I looked up 1984 in English, and and I found references right. through the law. Now, maybe there was a time where censors were blocking it, and then that's the way Chinese censorship in China goes, is it's blocked for a time, and then it's unblocked. And sometimes some censor gets a Something being as bonnet about something blocks it, and then a few weeks later it'll be accessible again. Hmm. Uh, the Guardian, for instance, was available, even though it had much harsher commentary on China than the New York Times. But after the June Fourth anniversary, uh, June Fourth, two thousand nineteen, uh, the Guardian was blocked again, and I don't know if it still is. I'll see when I get back. Um, I, I did give you guys an article though from the Atlantic on uh, by a very at least half half of it's by one of the authors is Jeffrey Wasserstrom who's a good historian about China why 1984 isn't banned in China because you find it at the bookstore and I know he doesn't say Linsky doesn't say it was banned in bookstores he just says on the internet which I don't know um, if it is now that seems to change day to day but the argument of this essay is that it's basically the the inner party's going to read, the inner party and outer party's going to read 1984 anyways. So they don't really care, and the proles aren't going to read it, so they don't bother blocking, censoring books like this. So that was my observation. Hmm. That, yeah, it's at bookstores. Well, at least the English version, and I assume the Chinese version is available. There is a Chinese version. Is it edited, Evan? Is it correct? Yeah, look, I flipped <laughs> no, through kidding. it. Animal Farm in 84... They looked intact. Um, oh, okay. The Chinese version, I don't, I, I haven't, I don't know the, the translation if it's been affected at all. But this article suggested it hasn't been. It's, it's available. It's discussed in colleges. So they, they, they're sensitive about things about China. Like a student told me that a video game, Hearts of Iron Four, is banned because right. you can communist China is a playable. It's a World War Two game. Communist China is a playable mm-hmm. nation in that game. And I don't know, it's not political, really, um, so much. I guess there's some commentary on the politics in the game a little bit. Not much. One of my Chinese students uh, introduced me to that game. 
And yeah. uh, it is, it is so deep that yeah. I, I wanted to, I think I might have talked to you about this a little bit, Evan. Uh, I don't know if it was on the podcast. It's so deep that if you, uh, like I, I, I was trying to understand the concept when he's showing it to me. Um, you know, he says you can, it's World War II and you can, you can choose any country. And I said, okay, I want to choose, um, Honduras. <laughs> you <laughs> During can, World yeah. War II. Yeah. And you can yeah. click on a Honduras and then it, 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 it goes down to the details of what officers in the army were active in Honduras during World War II. Wow. And yep, yep. that is an incredible level of detail that you What's do this not... What's game? It's called Hearts of Iron. Hearts of, uh-huh. Hearts, Hearts of Iron 4. Yeah, it's one of those paradox games. They do uh, Europa, Europa Salus. They do... Uh, oh, oh. They do uh, a whole bunch of historical games where you have all these countries you can play as all of them. And yeah, Hearts of Iron is their World War II version, and yeah, they go insane on the details and on the mechanics. It's a it's a You couldn't do in any other fictional medium, if if we can think of games as a fictional medium. It is more intensive. I don't know World War II research than anything in a, any particular book. I would say because it, it must be the really job. Cool. Yeah, it's what? fascinating, right? It's got a yeah nine out of ten on Steam. I can see that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just a really interesting concept. So the fact that they they ban that um, is maybe because well the communists could lose in your game and that yeah that's what I sort of thought like in this (laughs) but they they also have all sorts of ridiculous restrictions that just you know that I think they they followed the the meme of the day sort of issue like oh okay we don't want people getting riled up (laughs) so like. Games like um, PUBG, uh, you know, they have the same kind of restrictions that they had in the 80s in, in the United States, um, you know, um, blood and gore, right? So blood yeah. is turned green, right? Makes sense. <laughs> when you shoot somebody, green stuff pops out of them instead of red stuff, right? Um, so I, yeah, I think China is a, a different case, and uh, the book doesn't make a very good case, I think, Outside of really the United States after, after, um, his death. Basically, it sort of switches from being about Orwell's experience and, and the UK, uh, to, I guess, the British Empire to the United States after, after, um, the war. Right. So, well, yeah. I, mean, I think other, other countries. Story, except for the Apple ad. Right. Until, I think, the tr- chapter on the Trump years. And and that's a some of that's a global phenomenon too now with the social media. Mm-hmm. You see it in the Taiwanese elections. You know the Chinese fake news influencing the Taiwanese election. It's not just a U.S. thing. So um, that's kind of. I, I wish there would have been a little bit more in America. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because it made me curious about like when I was reading this. Like I didn't really hear about this book at all in New Zealand. I didn't find it until I got to Europe, and then I think it was through an American like podcast or something I was listening to. And I was curious about who gets taught this book and who discusses it. And so I did a little poll on um, Facebook and only Americans and Canadians really answered. Like I didn't like no one, none of my Europe friends. Hmm. Um, I think I had one who thought they were taught it in school in Germany and a few of the New Zealanders had read it, but weren't taught it in that's, school. That's or, actually one of the, um, I think more important parts of this book uh, is is how Orwell is used by the CIA um, as basically an anti-communist 
thing mm. because uh, I knew the story of how, especially Animal Farm, was pushed as a way of showing the Soviets are bad. Um, and uh, I think that that was the reason that so many people are forced to read it in school was because the CIA made it basically made, made, made. easy, right? Hmm, I didn't think of that, yeah. Because the, the thing is, is school is indoctrination, right? Yeah. And that's the whole point of it. Uh, the, you know, training workers, yeah, yeah, yeah. But more importantly, indoctrination. And uh, this, especially um, Animal Farm. Because the thing is, is 1984 is an awesome book. When I read it, I was like, oh, my God. When I read Animal Farm, I'm like, who? What? Yeah. Huh? Je- Je- Jesse, that brings me to a question I want to ask the entire group. Is what was your first encounter with 1984? So, so m- mine was, okay, so I was 13 in 1984, and I had not heard of the book until so people talking about, oh, it's 1984, and now we have this year, and now it's all this. And I was like, wait, what? And then about a year or so later, I actually read the book. And it was like, but, and then I had to read it again for high school because uh, but yeah, it was like, I, I read 1984 because the year turned 1984 and everyone was talking about it. It's like, well, what is 1984 and what's the big deal? And then I read it like, oh, so, 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 so Marissa, you didn't encounter 1940 until you came to the States? No, until I went to Europe. Oh, Europe. And, and I was, uh. I came through it. I came to it through trying to learn about dystopian fiction because I was just like interested in science fiction and learning, and then sort of like found my way there through like trying to self-educate on that. So, didn't come to me through readers or the culture or school or anything. So, what about you, Jesse? I, it's so long ago. I, I don't remember. It was probably for school um, because I remember Animal Farm was forced on me as well. Um, but. The, 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 uh, <laughs> The difference, I think, is, you know, that Animal Farm, what they call a romantic clef, right? A book with a key. The problem Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, as with most education, you know, is that most teachers suck. It's not that they, they, uh, they want to suck. It's just, you know, that. Without without that key, it's like, yeah, um, unless you know it's all about. Well, they're the, telling the me, you know, this is Stalin and this is this guy. And I'm like, who the fuck are those guys? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm supposed to know these guys, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, I think, I think if you, if you're reading it in the fifties, um, when all of these guys are, you know, in your public consciousness and you're an adult, right? It's not a kid, a kid's book. It's stupid to hand it to kids, right? Well, who does that? Uh, school. A lot of people. School. Yeah, actually, that was the answers I got on Facebook animal when I did my poll as well. Children. A- and yeah. Animal Farm, a kid's book? That's how, yeah. that's how they push that's it. Ins- that's crazy. It's propaganda, right? It's to control the, uh, the, the narrative. And I think that there are uh, good parts of this book talking about exactly that, is, is that uh, everybody wants to take control of Orwell. Orwell's, you know, he's got his axes to grind, but they're not, he's not anti-communist uh, as much as he is anti-evil, right? But yeah. Anti-totalitarian. Right. Anti-totalitarian, yeah. I guess, is the main thing. Um, and, and that he's, he's distilled. So I, I, I don't want to take us too off track, but basically 
you notice how it's not considered science fiction, right? Um, and this is the, the other thing. That, uh, I was just thinking, as soon as Margaret Atwood's appendix theory came up, I'm like, uh, she's a stumbling block for me because she is double thinking when she says her book's not science fiction, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yet yeah. she's she's writing a book about a, a totalitarian dystopia. So well, is she... Yeah. I, I always wonder, like, in her mind, does she actually think okay i know it's science fiction but i have to tell people it isn't otherwise it will be categories categorized wrong or did she just not like is she deliberately lying i got an answer to this and she's not is my thinking right she's she doesn't know she's holding these two ideas in her head she's she's written a couple of essays and i think there's a mixture of her, uh, judging from what she read as a child, she talked about these essays that she thinks of a lot of science fiction as the pulpy '50s sort of stuff. So of course her stuff is not that, and also that I don't want to be plugged into though that sort of category, not realizing science fiction has changed in 30 years. So I think it's kind of a willful blindness and not wanting to be open to the experience that yes, your books are science fiction. Exactly, I think it's like yeah. voluntary ignorance of the science fiction genre. But the thing is, is she she loves the genre. Actually, I mean, she comes back to it again and again and again and again. Um, she wrote an article about um, Margaret Brundage, uh, the cover artist for Weird Tales, um, and you know the Weird Tales stories. And she has a casual love and interest of Pulp Fiction. But I think she she like many authors uh, like deliberately are thinking about the market. And the thing is, is at the time Orwell's writing 1984, he isn't saying, I'm going to write a science fiction novel, right? He's writing a dystopian novel, or more importantly, a utopian novel, which is a whole theme. And if this book is good for anything, it's really good for telling me about books that I haven't read yet that I want to read. Because that whole first half giving me, uh, yeah, a lot of books I've read, like, uh, Zemyatin, we, uh, guess who was inspired yesterday? Um, it's public domain now, guys. Uh, is, is, is there an audiobook, Jesse? There is an audiobook. Yes, it's already is. been podcast. Sorry, Paul. Ah, oh, <laughs> damn it. Um, but, uh, there is a, I just finished putting the PDF together and there is the original translation in English from 1924 is public domain. I'm going to put it up on the PDF webpage. Yeah. Um, uh, EM Forster's The Machine Stops. When I read that, um, I was like, this is our reality. <laughs> this is my mm-hmm. reality. I'm living inside a cube, or uh, I guess it's a hexagon. Um, I'm inside the machine. I can't get out. I don't want to go out. Uh, I worship <laughs> the internet, and uh, I do a podcast, just like the lady in the story. So Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a wonderful, wonderful. I'm imagining science you like lying there, all like isn't she like all bald pudgy, and just, pudgy, bald? It's like fit nutrients <laughs> during your podcast. Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to get rid of all my books, you know, scan them all, and so that I only have one big book. Yep, definitely. It, it, there's so many um, books mentioned, and I think it's so important. I I still haven't read it. The um, Bellamy Looking Backward book. Evan, think, have you read uh, that? Yeah, I've okay. read it, of course. Yeah. Okay, so so many, so many books use that the premise from that, and even H.G. Wells, the guy who I think is most responsible for modern science fiction, um, 
you know, even though he didn't use the term, he he's responding to it in his stuff. And and so much of what we is, uh, and so much of what uh, 1984 is, is in response to that book. And isn't it cool as well? Like he mentioned that um, the Bradbury House in Los Angeles is modeled on his view of Utopia. So that's that building in Blade Runner that we see. Bradbury Building, yeah, not Bradbury House, but the Bradbury Building in. Oh, sorry, the Bradbury Building. Yeah, yeah, in downtown Los Angeles. That's so cool that that comes from that. And Blade Runner uses from that book. One more thing about Atwood, I want to. Actually, I want to go back Atwood and my personal experience about 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Atwood, I, I think this Linsky mentions this, or he must. I think he, he mentions it at some point. But she's a, the problem with the appendix theory with Atwood is she uses the appendix theory in Handmaid's Tale, right? And so I, I don't know. It's not the most objective statement because mm. right? she's so clearly she uses it like so obviously in that book. I guess she needs that hope more than, than Orwell. Oh, that's oh, the by, thing, right? By, by the people... way, sideline, you heard she's writing a sequel, right? Yes, it's, yes. Mentioned, it's mentioned in the book. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, if Orwell had kept living, right, he would probably have gone down the same route that poor H.G. Uh, Wells gets such a slamming for in this book. Oh, yeah, he gets dragged in this book. Oh, yeah. I, I also didn't realize Orwell died so soon after 1984, relatively speaking. Yeah, I see this is a bit of tragedy, well, but yeah, Wells gets really dragged in the first half of this book. It's like I couldn't tell whether there's Linsky's own opinion no, or Linsky looking I think that's through really, Wells' opinion. I mean, for his fiction, nobody likes his later stuff, right? Nobody likes it. You got to read Mencken's uh, review of some of his later works. It's yeah. in the what's that collection of essays by Mencken? Whatever. I don't know. That's, I forget what they're they're called, but uh, yeah, he just gets out of touch, and it gets. Uh, the thing is, is his early stuff, right? His his first four big novels um, are just tremendous, and then even the one that's mentioned in here, um, which I've done a podcast on and can't remember the name of. It's uh, set in the future, uh, where a guy has fallen asleep and woken up in the future, and now he owns everything. Um, what's it called? This when the sleeper awakes, and then he rewrote it. Uh, uh, I can't remember what one of the titles. Uh, the, the sleeper awakes, and then the other one. Yeah, he changed the, the title. Yeah, he changed the title, rewrote some of it. So, oh, it's the prejudices by Minkin. Okay, and the, the essay is called the the late Mister Wells. So sort of <laughs> right, some dead. Oh, yeah, kind of tipping his hand there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh that book is is really impressive and important and interesting and it's so much a response to Bellamy that uh, I didn't like when I was reading in in the 80s uh Mac Reynolds one of my favorite undersung science fiction writers he's writing about these dystopias where yeah the problem is uh everybody has uh, a good income no jobs <laughs> and they all want work and so they're all spending all their time trying to get better university degrees um but because you know everything's automated like you order your drinks uh, at your table and they're delivered to the table like through the floor right so there's no waiters there's no waitresses there's nobody behind the bar there's no service jobs and the the major problem with this utopia is everybody wants meaning and they can't find any because there's no jobs 
And mm-hmm. uh, it's like, wow, this is a fascinating book. And then, uh, even, uh, uh, there was a book I talked about and I think I was, yeah, uh, we were talking about it in the uh, last, um, Jack London, uh, story, The Scarlet Plague. Um, I mentioned this book, The Unincorporated Man, which is absolutely 100% a follow up to Bellamy saying, you know, what we're going to look at this future, this utopian future, uh, where somebody f- accidentally falls asleep, um, I guess the, in the style of uh, Nathaniel, that's not Nathaniel Hawthorne, it's uh, Washington Irving, right? Yep. Um, falls asleep and then wakes up in the future where they own everything, right? Um, and in that case, The Unincorporated Man, it's a 24-hour audiobook about when you are born, you have stock issued in your name, your parents get 10% each, the state get 5%, and then the rest is held in trust for you until your age of majority, in which point you are going to sell it for stock, <laughs> for um, seed money to get your rest of your education. Right? Um, that book only exists in the continuity of that Bellamy book that nobody reads anymore. And the fact that he's behind, behind all of these stories and 1984 being sort of the culmination of the turn from utopia to what is really now unquestionably, this is a dystopia. If you use the appendix theory that I don't think is really a theory, I think it's just an idea that's not very well supported, um, including by that, you know, that penguin uh, last missing digit, right? Two plus two equals and then leaving that out, as mentioned in the last, uh, I guess, the appendix of this book. Uh-huh. Uh, um, people trying to fuck with George Orwell's statement and use it for their purposes, which is total propaganda, right? That's the whole thing. Is, it's what you know, he warned against. That's exactly, yeah. but people always, uh, you know, they can have, they can read the book and say, uh-huh, that's a really bleak book. I'm going to use it for my purposes. I'm going to change it up. Well, that was the fascinating thing about it, how everybody could take ownership, like right, left, you know, communists, everybody could say, uh, say, yeah, this, this is how this works. This is how you guys are. Oh, my first experience with 1984 must have been the, the high school sci-fi class. Sci-fi. I didn't know there was a sci-fi one semester course I took. Awesome. In and high that school? teacher, wow, cool. that, and we watched the the Radford film, and we talked about. It. I don't think we read the whole thing. It was just the Radford film. But that teacher must have been like a, a like a libertarian or have libertarian <laughs> sentiments because all the sci-fi we read was filtered to that lens. So Fahrenheit, four fifty one. It was nineteen eighty four. And uh, what's the the Bergeron, whatever. Oh, Harrison, Harrison Bergeron. Bergeron. I yeah. hate that story. Yeah, we, it was all that kind of dystopian stuff that we read and talked about. And yeah. it, it did kind of influence me. So that was my original kind of experience in 1984. And it wasn't until I kind of studied labor history and the history of socialism that I, I, I still had a very intimate relationship with the book. Because um, after watching that film, I did read it and Animal Farm uh, while still in high school. But, you know, now I, I, I'm kind of with Orwell with this kind of left, left-wing left kind of anti-totalitarianism, you know, reading of it. I hope but so. <laughs> I originally, no, but my point is with this, how everyone kind of throws their own stuff at it. 
in high school, I, I kind of did have that more right-wing reading of 1984. Really? It influenced me. I, I did kind of make a more right to left Kids are malleable, you know. And uh, the thing is... Yeah. is uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't until I really got to college that I, and I started studying labor history that I became more of a leftist. That's fascinating. I'm, I, I'm, I'm in the book. They say, you know, the books you read when you're young are the ones that stay with you the most. And, mm-hmm. um, I did read it also in high school. This one and Brave New World, they, they paired them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a brilliant teacher Lucky. who brought them both to life. And, uh, and they, and those two books really just never left. They never left me. So. Mm-hmm. I think what, what most teachers should do is just like say, look at this. Show, show you a bunch, a whole bunch of stuff and then leave you alone. Because, okay. um, the, the thing is, is given the choices, what we're handed, right? If we're handed Fahrenheit, four, uh, 451, um, if we're handed, um, a Brave New World and we're handed, uh, 1984, we're being told these are books that exist, but that's leaving off hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other books, right? And so mm-hmm. where, who's, the, who's the publisher? Who's the company that's producing it? Who's backing that production? Um, those are questions that never go into the mind of a student, right? Never, because it, it's just not in the frame. Not, I didn't start thinking about that stuff until very late in high school. Um, there was a, for some reason, there was a, a group um, I think they were operating out of Vancouver called Adbusters, and they had a magazine yeah. called Adbusters, which that I was like, finally, I understand stuff now. Like, oh my god, th- we're being controlled. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. the fact that that magazine existed as a, a physical magazine that you could look at and and flip through and see like all mm-hmm. the slick production used against slick production, so important. That's and great. It was it was an it was an astounding revelation for me, and it it, it was resonating with, like the, I think there's a line near the end of this book saying, um, "The best books tell you something you are, you already know." Yeah, <laughs> and um, uh, how m- people in repressed re- repressive regimes really appreciate what Orwell's doing because he is telling them something. Oh my God, I'm not being gas. I, I'm being gaslit. Finally. I'm not crazy, right? Actually, finally, I'm seeing. Yeah, Winston keeps on saying that in 1984 himself. Actually, when he's reading that Goldstein book, he's right. constantly like, "Oh, right. it's telling right. me what right. I already know." Yeah. Right. But 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 then there's the whole layer. I mean, no, we're talking about 1984. Then it's like, is that Goldstein book actually real, or is that just a tool of the state to uh, basically? <laughs> the real, Goldstein real book potential. is 1984 being used by the CIA to make Jesse think certain <laughs> things. Literally true. <laughs> Although they're they're less interested in the, I mean, the, they're, the they're pushing u- Animal Farm the state, more than they are pushing 1984. But still, I, I mean, I mean, the state uses the Goldstein book to reel Winston Smith in. The question is, did they create themselves or not? And that's something I didn't get on the first, second, or third reading in 1984. Mm. But I, when I was reading this book, I started thinking heavily about it. Like, is the Goldstein book in itself? something made by the state or they just appropriate it and is there is there a difference i'm not sure there is a difference when you first read it did you just take o'brien's word for it that that he helped write it by committee i i i I was i was i was 14 at the time so yeah yeah, i i didn't didn't read critically enough at the time well that's that's what what terrence says about uh growing up in australia and 
reading 1984 or not reading 1984? Yeah, Terrence, go for it. Uh, I read it because at school we did um, Animal Farm, and so I read 1984 and um, uh, Brave New World, and I was into science fiction at the time. And I think it was about that time uh, we did Animal Farm and um, The Plague by Camus. And Animal Farm, at least it looks like um, uh, an allegory. But it was mysterious to me. And when they explained that it was an allegory, um, uh, that was weird too, but I sort of understood. And then I read um, The Plague by Camus which is about a sickness, but in fact it's an allegory about um, Nazism. Mm. And I was blown away that a thing that looked really realist could be an allegory. Mm -hmm. And 1984 came uh, somewhere uh, with those two allegorical books, one that looked like one that looked like an allegory and the other that didn't. Uh, There is a movie version of The Plague, you know. (laughs) I haven't seen it. Uh, no, n- not many have. Uh, oh, I might have seen. It. I think I did see. It. Yes, I saw it. On, on, stars on William Hurt. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> How that? That's that's. that's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, not John Hurt. William Hurt. No, but no, but still, the Hurt, the, the, the Hurts apparently go for the Hurt. The <laughs> <laughs> they hurt us. Yes. Uh, so yeah, like, um, also. I, I don't know. I don't know for direct experience, and I I know even less about New Zealand as as uh, being controlled by the CIA. But I do know that the CIA has a lot more. Um, they seem like a lot more focused on on Australia than they are on Canada, which I feel very lucky for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that might be because the RCMP is doing such a good job <laughs> of repressing what little anti um, I don't know. Uh, American imperialism is going on, but Australia had a whole like thing going on in the seventies and the sixties and still does, right? They, they're still incredibly tied to the United States for, I guess, what is considered, you know, the Chinese threat. Um, did you feel, did you feel that? Um, I was in, uh, high school. At the end of high school, I finished high school in 1971, and then I went to uni in Sydney from 1972 to 1980, and then I came to France. And but I didn't, the, you know, Australia didn't have the any idea. War there, right? I mean, for well, the- that, that really frightened me. I was afraid of being conscripted. Right. But um, so it seemed uh, I didn't have any idea of the CIA at that moment. No, but I. Uh, but looking disagree. back, do you see the hands? Of course, it's it's totally crazy. It's um, uh, sort of like Australia voting to stay um, uh, with uh, the Queen, and um, in practical politics, but that's only symbolic. And in practical politics, follow, following um, America's lead, it's. Yeah. It, it, it's it's really interesting to think about like like why why we read the books that we did. Um, it, it's not all about free the free market doing you know uh, what it does is just trying to sell books because that is definitely going on right. Um, people writing books and then selling those books, but it's not just just the free market because 
education requires that they have books for the students to read. And, you know, I, I do not think, um, there's a massive conspiracy to try and force Shakespeare on us for some political <laughs> purposes. I think they're for social purposes, right? Um, it's, it's to say we have a culture, <laughs> basically, and to maybe encourage some interest in the arts, maybe. Um, which, you know, is part of the economy and GDP and all that stuff. But, uh, a lot of the, a lot, like the outsiders, I don't know, I don't have a grand theory about why the outsiders is the S.E. Hinton books, especially, and all of those books, um, are being pushed. Um, but I know that the legacy, one of the things that happens as a, as a tutor, right? As I, I see books from the, from when I was a kid being that were being pushed still being pushed and i think part of that is just they still have stock right they still have them in the classrooms they still them ha have them in the school district and they need to have a certain number of novels in the curriculum so instead of buying new books right and making a whole new political decision which it will be a political decision what and, and, also, and also an economic one to, to right. actually, to actually spend those resources. But a, it's also a political. When you make a, uh, a decision of what book you're going to read, like uh, remember, Hunger Games um, is probably. I think it did get picked up and used by some schools and stuff. But it's a much more political decision than to make a kid read something that their parents read. Um, and yeah. so, so the initial decision, you know, forty years ago, can still have massive cultural impacts. And, um, this, this, this book is so important that, uh, like, I, I had no idea, Paul, no idea at all, yeah. that, uh, until this book, it's like, oh my god, of course, The Prisoner, right? Yes. The yes. Prisoner oh, is oh, 1984. Yes. So much 1984. It's so important. And it's, it's sort of a, uh, a beautifully dressed up, uh, dystopia, utopia, and what's the difference between the two, right? The village is perfect. That numbering system is, it's, it makes everyone feel like, uh, they have a place, right? And, and I've been rewatching The Prisoner because it's on Amazon Prime and, well, it's The Prisoner. And, and that whole episode where number two and The Prisoner talk and number two wants to see the whole world as the village. And they mentioned it in this book. It's like, mm -hmm. they want to make the, this, they, his idea of his utopia is our dystopia. It's, 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 it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, you can run from 1984 right to the prisoner. This book right. gets that perfect. I was hoping they weren't going to screw it up and they didn't. That's, I mean. I didn't I, even I occur to me to make that connection until this book brought it there. But absolutely, the prisoner is a child of 1984, right? Has to oh, yeah. Be. And, and yep. also the, the actual spook life, right? Where, yeah, political expediency is much more important to what happens to you personally than than any uh, sense of moral obligation, and and the fact that it doesn't like if you if you do study the the dialogue in in the prisoner, and I I I, I was thinking about this a lot because I I was listening to that audio new audio drama series of the prisoner. Oh, 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 the, oh, the remake episodes? Yeah, they're, it's not exactly a remake, but it's a, a redoing, well, yeah, sort of. They're retelling the same episodes. Kind well, of not short. exactly, because they go to the, they go to the moon <laughs> at one point. Wait, wait, I haven't gotten to that point. They go to the moon? <laughs> they go to the moon, sort of. I mean, maybe it's not the moon. I mean, maybe it's not the this, moon, right? This is, this is Big Finish? Yeah, it's the Big Finish ones. Okay, because I heard some on the BBC and that they didn't get to the moon on any of those. Okay. Yeah, they eventually now, go to the moon. Or maybe not, because it's the prisoner. It but, was a fake landing. 
It's entirely possible. It's very interesting. And it's also set in the 60s, but it's also got technology. Weird things like clones and all sorts of weird things. No, but it's got technology from today uh, sort of being explained as technology, you know, hyper-technology from the in the 1960s. Yeah. So the important part is in, is what makes the dialogue authentic to me in the in the remake is that and it's pinned down in this book is is all questions are turned on them their head, right? So you say who is number 6? You are number 1. Right? Or you're Yeah, who is, who is who is number 1? You are number yeah, 7. I just turned it on its head right there. Yeah, you, um, you did. <laughs> and actually if you watch the show turns out number 1 is number 6. So Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's always there's uh, the, the, the I mean that that was my big take. That's why I think Margaret Atwood's theory is bad. Is because the scene for me that's so important in 1984 is when uh, they're in the old place and they're just about to get picked up, and the telescreen um, uh, says we can see you or whatever. Yeah, and 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 he says. It was in the frame. It was in the picture the whole time. And then the picture says, "We were in the picture the whole time." And then that's that dot. The doubling is so dreamlike that this whole story is suddenly focused. Is a what the fuck is? Nothing is on fixed ground. Is it even 1984, right? Is the year even 1984? I remember when I was a kid, airplanes existed. That's before the state, don't I? But his job is to delete reality, right? And write new reality. Wow. Such a great and important, powerful book. And it goes goes all the way back to E.M. Forster's The Machine Stops, where there is only the one book, right? And... People can, uh, you know, call up all sorts of information about music, but they can't call up any information about reality uh, and the history of how they got there. But there, uh, it's it, it's so, there's so much densely packed into the E.M. Forster story that there, the uh, things that make we would say are good things, like he has a healthy body, is a negative, right? They want to make people weaker and weaker physically weaker and and that's the culture right making them physically less less uh self i don't know in control yeah like it makes them into infants like little babies that need nurturing and 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 that instinct is within us right Mm -hmm. there's a reason i want to have a comfy chair (laughs) i don't want (laughs) to lie on a hard floor i want a pillow I want a nicer pillow. I want a nicer yeah. chair. Right? Yeah. Doesn't he? There's a part in the in this book that we read um, where he's talking about that with the Big Brother reality shows and stuff, right? right? Where they first started putting people in those boxes and being like, "Would they trade all their privacy for all these nice comforts?" And they were like, "Hell yeah! <laughs> feed me and give me a like free entertainment and, and also, food and, and drink and make me a star too, right?" Yeah, yeah. They're just like, yeah, I like I like being babied. It's awesome. You can have my privacy. <laughs> it, but I think we we would get the sense that some people would put like this. I'm probably giving an idea for a terrible reality show. Um, people would volunteer for prison if they, <laughs> you know, some people would volunteer <laughs> for prison. Yeah. 
because yeah. if you're going to make a show out of it, I'm going to be a star. It's going to be, I'm going to be Orange is the New be. Black. And the fact that they, they're not allowed reading materials, no problem for most people. Evan, oh, God. Evan, your, one of your, your direct messages was, um, does it matter? <laughs> if it was banned, most people aren't going to read it anyways, right? <laughs> and that's right. Most people aren't going to read it. So. Yeah, I, 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 I felt that this book was very, uh, valuable for giving me that, that list and making some connections. But the closer yeah. it got to our, our, like, just like talking about the Internet Research Agency. Oh my God. Oh my God. You don't know how badly you've dated this book because it. Or fixed it in time. Yeah. But, in, but even like, it, it'd be like, if this book was written in the 70s and you started saying that this book, you know, like spending a lot of time on Nixon. Okay. It would be, it would fix it in time. But the Internet Research Agency story is so, like, it, even this book is, came out in June, right? The Mueller stuff that's, you know, finally the mainstream media, finally some people, like, in the mainstream media are saying it's, okay, Rachel Maddow went too far. Like, just starting to say it now, right? After it's all safe and everybody say, yeah, basically Mueller is like a political hack who's, not, doesn't even know what's in his own report and doesn't like, they're finally giving up on this thing. Like, you know, Russia's controlling our, uh, but it, this book is now and Russia's doing this. It's like, Oh God. You know, if you want to talk about political interference, right? Uh, look at what happened to Honduras. Look at what happened to, uh, you know, what, where are this, where are these, uh, caravans coming up and why are the 80% of the people Honduran? Hmm, I wonder why. There's called a thing called political interference where you overthrow the government of a nation nearby your, your southern border and uh, the murder rate goes up to, you know, the highest in the Western Hemisphere and suddenly everybody's trying to flee. I wonder what, like, that's a real thing. And nobody talks about that. That's not mentioned in here, right? Well, Linsky does make a passing reference to uh, Milton Friedman and the Shock Doctrine, but it's like one sentence right, right. about Chile that that could have really been a useful thing for him to develop. Absolutely. I mean, Naomi Klein wrote that whole book on that that unveils that whole history, so it's certainly available. But yeah, he again, I, I think there's so much more to the American story here about not just the relationship in 1984, but the the U.S. Empire is such a big part of the post-war world. And it, it's not a major part of the story. I, I, and, give, and given that in 1984, I mean, the U.S. has basically conquered Britain and turned it into Airstrip One. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you think that you'd focus more on America because America is the dog and Britain, Airstrip One, is the yeah. tail of 1984. I'm not, sure, uh, I'm not sure if that's true. I, 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 I got the sense, like, is, is Britain in charge or is Britain a colony in 1984? Airstrip One... I think, like, if you think about what, who is actually running things, right? I don't think it is countries. <laughs> no, 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 right? the, the power it's, box, but Britain is, it's Britain just, is on the edge of, well, post, yeah, but of, I, I think it's post-national at that point, right? That's the point is, 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 um, and, and the difference between, there's a lot of talk, especially in the first half, about the difference between patriotism and nationalism, right? 
and a patriotism. I think I guess it's. Uh, I think it was Orwell was arguing that patriotism, or had the feeling that patriotism was an, a good and natural thing, and that nationalism was an artificial and evil thing, and that the difference between those two is is massive. So, like, uh, I, I I'm sorry, Mike. I don't. I do not feel a great sense of nationalism, right? <laughs> You, I'm connected to you. I've never been to Ontario except, you know, on an airplane that I didn't even get out of while flying <laughs> to Europe, right? I've ne- that's, I, how I, that's how I know Vancouver, too. Yeah, I, I just don't have a connection to it. But I have a connection to the land here and the sea here. I've been to Alberta. I've w- walked through the hoodoos of the, you know, Drumheller. I, I have a connection to these places, and I, I feel a fondness for them. But I'm not willing to fight and die for Canada, and I think that I'm right, and everybody who doesn't think that way is wrong. Um, so, what, are you what willing is... to fight? Are you willing to fight and die? I, but I mean, like, if if I was thinking about George Orwell, mm-hmm. when he went to war, he he was he went to war to fight and for against fascism. Y- yeah, against fascism, and and for like, was it for freedom? You know, like, what would you fight for? Okay. Not nationalism. What, if you were to fight, I try what would not you fight to fight. For? I'd try not to fight, and and uh, I, I think if you asked him, was it a good idea for him to go there? I think it was a good idea for us because we got a really good book out of it. <laughs> but I don't think he th- he would think, oh yes, I I made a no, wise decision. No, I don't decision. think so either. But I mean, like, I don't know. I don't like. I think about that myself. Where would I draw the line? At mm-hmm. some point, would I draw the line and say, because no, I'm a pacifist. I wouldn't. I don't want to fight. But right. is there a point where I would say, okay, I have to fight now because there's no choice because the world's going to fall on our heads, mm. you know? Well, when you submit to an authority, right, that, then you're you're following orders. And it, I, I always think any kind of system like that is probably pretty dangerous. Yeah. That's why, why I would have loved to have him, to the Linsky, to have spent a lot more time talking about Blake 7 because... <laughs> He, he mentioned it. It though. is mentioned. It is absolutely mentioned. Yeah. mentioned, and and rightly so because if you read that or read, if you watch that opening episode, it is absolutely drawn from 1984. Um, mm. They are rewriting histories. They're rewriting memories. Yeah. They are yeah. uh, they they fake evidence. Uh, call him a pedophile. Charge him with crimes against children, and maybe even insert memories of of uh pederasty or whatever it is into into a child in order to convict him right that is brutal stuff and he he has his mind wiped and re- replaced and then is sent off to a penal colony um and and then once once they somehow escape that their solution and it's never stated their solution is not to like follow a leader in a war against uh, the government. It's basically an anarchi- anarchistic group of people who do not love Big Brother. And they yeah. don't ever like say, I'm in command and I'm going to give this order. Like Even on Star Trek, there's this sense that, you know, I have to follow orders, right? And that that is not that is not present in Lake Seven. It's so interesting to think about. Uh, was Survivors mentioned? No, I don't think it was. No, that's also Terry Nation. But um, it, again, it's 
systems. It's like who who are you going to fight for is is basically who you're going to follow orders from, and that's mm. a really scary idea because if if he says this is the good the good fight, right? You go do good the good fight. Um, yeah. uh, well, turns out that the the good fight in Afghanistan was working with the warlords to take down the Taliban, right? And the soldiers who who found out that the warlords had sex child sex slaves and reported this to their commanders were told to shut up and keep doing their job because what they're doing is good. And then those who went against that were dishonorably discharged by telling telling the media that there was this sex like that. It's not a simple question. What what would you fight no, for? It's, it's, it's more like who would you take orders from? And right. um, I, I liked I liked that in the Spanish Civil War. It's not one. I mean, maybe that's why they lost, right? The uh, the the good side lost in that war, if there is a good side, because there's the anarchists and the communists and the uh, American socialists and the you know and they're all volunteers. Nobody conscripted them, right? And mm-hmm. and then, yeah, it's. But Jesse, I, I, about the nationalism thing. Yeah. Um, I when I read this, it's been a while since I read 1984, but I don't get this. I do get the sense of the state more than the nation. But I I did go back and watch a little bit of the Redford film uh, yesterday, the day before. Mm-hmm. Trying to coerce my daughter into watching <laughs> a bit of it. Watch it. It'll be fun. I, I think it's about time. But. Um, that, that opening scene where they have the propaganda videos, remember, it really does, you get a sense of nature. got the national anthem. Sorry, I can't hear you very well. There's some sort of background noise again. Yeah, I don't know where that is. It's not my It sounds like an open window. Is it you, uh, Marissa? I just tried muting myself. No, it's not me. All right, that's a better. Maybe it's me. Um, okay, but uh, the symbolism of nation really comes off in the movie version, and it, maybe it's in the book too, but I, I don't really recall that. But like, you have that opening propaganda video where they talk about the land and the, the we're a productive land, and you got the it, it just it's the symbolism of nation built. Mm-hmm. And and here's the point: nationalists believe nations are organic. Like they come from the primordial, from the folk tales, from mm-hmm. the language, from blood, whatever, right? That's what nationalists believe, that there's something that binds us together that's primordial. But, you know, most historians know very well that nations are constructed. You know, basically, French culture is something that kind of comes out of the French state and imposed on all these different diverse, you know, peasant cultures. They're quite, you know, quite different. And it's like, these are the books that are. You know, when I grew up in America, I was told the books you, that are important to you are they're Hawthorne and Melville. Mm-hmm. Point. These are your, your books, even though my people were were Germans who came over in like the 1870s and 80s. Right? No connection to Thomas Jefferson or anything. Nation is a project, so I'm fully open to the idea that Oceania is creating a new nation. Mm-hmm. You know, through propaganda, through education, or whatever it's doing, right? And and there's nothing permanent about the the, the 200 nation states in the world today. Right, right now, you have an emerging nationalism in Taiwan that's saying we're not Chinese. But if the Chinese conquer Taiwan sometime in the future, who knows? You know, that nation can be remade. 
Uh, when I read 1984, like, I didn't know what Oceania, like, I didn't have an idea what it meant. But now I'm like, oh, it's the British Empire and, I guess, now the American Empire, right? Because yeah, they control the world culture. through the sea, right? It, they, That's how they control the world. East Asia, okay, I'm getting it. It's China, right? And Eurasia, oh, it's Russia. Okay. Um, but notice that they're not nation names anymore. And, and I think that is something that is undercooked in, in this book, um, is the fact that Orwell is seeing what's happened to the United States. Uh, sorry, what's happened to the UK during World War II and the rationing, right? That continues what into 1956 rationing continues from World War II, um, in England. Um, it, it said, I think the Marshall Plan was mentioned. Um, I believe the Marshall Plan didn't have, uh, very much impact on the UK as compared to other European nations, especially, you know, the ones that were on, uh, on the border with, with the Soviet Union. Yeah, they were at risk of becoming Soviet, right? Right. The Soviet sphere. So we got to spend our money where it is. Right. So that, that deep sense of no, um, no victory here, uh, when VJ Day, happens um it, it's not long lasting in in the london streets um it's in a sense paul you mentioned this it's you know the united states has taken over the the british, the british empire em- um, right and, and now britain is the, is the tail of the dog of the american empire right. absolutely and so you know it's it's funny that in a you know this book written in june um <laughs> or published in june probably written you know it's written while trump is president um, no mention of Bojo, right? Um, being the prime minister of the UK. It's the same effect, right? Um, the, the reason the people of, of the UK are disaffected is for similar problems as people of the United States are disaffected. Neoliberalism over the like last 50 years has not made people, um, richer. It's made the people poorer. But the elites, they're like, oh, what's wrong? Why are people so stupid? Brexit's bad. <laughs> it's like you give people a choice between uh, the current status and uh, a change. What are they going to choose? They're going to change. Choose change. I think I, 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 it's it's just really interesting that ideology is what's missing, right? I don't think Bojo has a. Uh, I keep calling him Bojo. Boris Johnson. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like he's a <laughs> one of my friends calls him Bojo. I think it's funny. <laughs> But uh, Boris Johnson doesn't have an ideology as much as he has a personality. And Trump absolutely doesn't have an ideology. <laughs> the, I think that's even mentioned in this book. He has no ideology. He's just a personality, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the difference. That Their totalitarianism is not t- total because, you know, the alternative facts are just to make them look good. Right? It's, it's called, uh, you know, uh, what, damage control and self-promotion. Right, that's what you have a publicist for. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, think that they don't have an ideology. Um, I think that is the modern ideology that we don't have an ideology, and that we can believe contradictory facts at the same time, and that it doesn't matter. I think um, the fact that you've got that in. Um, uh, Trump and in uh, Boris Johnson, in two different countries. That's uh, for, for me a sign, not that we have no ideology, but that's the modern form of ideology. 
Well, <laughs> I, it's an absence of a particular. I guess I guess you could say having no ideology is an ideology. I, I don't. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be intellectualized. That's why um, uh, he does talk about it a bit, uh, Linsky, that um, uh, some people give a, a positive spin to the idea of double think, even if they don't call it that, and having um, living with and accepting paradoxes. And um, who gets to uh, do believing the... two different things? That Trump is crazy, but he's good for us. Um, that um, he's lying, but in fact he's uh, revealing um, what the others don't want to say. That um, uh, Boris Johnson is ridiculous, and in fact um, he's um, saying what out loud what everybody would thinks or would like people to say. That's for me. Um, you don't need. That's the discovery. That's the discovery in in, in 1984 too. You don't need an intellectualized, systematized theory as ideology. You can have something much more um, uh, sort of uh, like a gas that's everywhere and is based on 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 double think. Mm-hmm. For me, well, that is. It, yeah. 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 I, I was. I just think like who who gets to do the the gaslighting. That's who your master is, right? If if you're if you're allowed to run story after story after story about about alternative facts, um, and you do those all day long, then you're the master. If nobody can stop you, I don't I don't, but, uh, I, I I don't have like, the ability to do that. Have you seen the films uh, Cube, uh, Cube One and Cube yeah, Two? Yes, I, I think it's in Cube Two that um, somebody asks. Um, uh, who built it? Who gave the order? <laughs> and somebody explains it in saying there was a little decision here. Somebody signed something in some bureaucratic office, and somebody else, um, uh, without paying any attention, signed something else. And because it seemed good at the time, and little by little, the thing um, took that form without it being anyone's uh, centralized ultimate authority that. Um, dictated it. Well, so yeah, no, but there are owners to the Washington Post, right? Well, yeah, there are owners everywhere, but there's no super, probably, I don't know, maybe there is, but there's no absolute owner um, uh, above them all. One. No, 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 there is no big uh, one guy, big brother, um, but there is definitely, there are owners who have absolute agendas and want to get Stuff. True. That's why I believe that um, when people make fun of conspiracy theories, that making fun of conspiracy theories is itself a conspiracy because there are <laughs> conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> there definitely are conspiracies. Um, usually, it's not it's not that hard to figure out. You just say, "Who owns this? What do they want?" Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then that we don't know. Who who does that yeah. serve? Whose yeah. interest does that serve? Yeah. Who makes the money? It's kind of the Chomsky point, right? With all the conspiracy theorists, like you don't, you just have to look at the Wall Street Journal, and you know who's kind of running the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not very hidden. No, they they actually, you know, they, they tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all out in public. It's just it, it's not because it's not the focus, right? And the, and the, they have other they have other axes to grind. Much, you know, the, they have their preferred candidates. They have their preferred managers of the status quo. Keep things, and they can't disagree. 
Yeah, or if they do, they get fired, right? I mean, uh, if you look at the staff of uh, RT, right, they're all ex-MSNBC employees who were fired after the Iraq War. Jesse Ventura, former governor of of uh, what, what what states by you, Paul? Minnesota? Minis- yeah, the state I'm in, actually, yes. Minnesota. There you go. It's why one of those middle states that I'd, I've never been to, uh, the, the, that exists in theory, and I've seen it on maps. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Justin. <laughs> well, Paul, Justin. Paul, I've never been there. I do not know that it actually exists. I'm assuming it does because I'm talking to you. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, he, 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 he was... Um, he was against the uh, Iraq War, the uh, the second one, not the first one. Um, it was given a uh, $10 million contract for a show on MSNBC. And when he he was going to start doing shows on on how the Iraq War is a bad idea, they canceled his show, gave him his money, and he had a three-year contract uh, for which meant he he had he couldn't be on TV for three years, and all all the other great employees who used to work for MSN, uh, uh, Phil Donahue was against the Iraq War. What happened to him? He's he's gone, right? Get fired. Um, it's there are owners. They got their agendas. There's no conspiracy uh, that's not there to be seen. It's just the dominant voice, right? The dominant voice is is what carries the day there's a there's a lot going on in this book and uh i i appreciate it as a i really i thought the the title was what was sold me not ministry of truth but the subtitle which um i'm just gonna get it exactly here it was um ministry of truth the biography of george orwell's 1984 treating the book itself like a, a person, thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it is a living thing since it's. I mean, since since it had this afterlife in all this media that's birth, influence right? and being in being birth, in curricula, but and, its genes are 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 examined, and uh, and then the book itself has a, a massive afterlife, and and yeah, uh, that that's what I appreciate. Is I I want yeah. more books like this where you look at something very like. Uh, it was interesting to see all the other things that are examined, right? Huxley's uh, Brave New World is examined in this because it it it, it impacts 1984 in a, in a large degree yeah. and how different it is. That's what I liked about it too. And I I saw like someone wrote a negative review where they were um, complaining about Bellamy being in there because you know he states himself that Orwell never mentioned Bellamy in any of his writing. And I was like, no, that's what's cool about it because Bellamy is the like the soup that he's like that's in the culture that he's building on. You need to know all that history to understand the book. Absolutely. Like it's about the book, yeah. not about Orwell himself. Yes. And, and subconscious or- influence. Yeah. And an like- overall trend from utopia to dystopia, I think was very useful. In the first yeah. So useful. Yeah. That's, that's why this is despite it's, you know, uh, back end, um, and last chapter, I think it's, it's so, <laughs> so valuable because i was I, I wasn't taking notes but i want to have somebody give me the list of all the stuff that was listed i have it i was looking, noting great, it all down <laughs> great because i really i was like oh my god there's a lot of good stuff here i'm gonna dig up and put up on the pdf page i hope so i can get somebody to make an audiobook out of it so i can read it <laughs> really really valuable 
And, and I know that there were a lot not mentioned as well. All, I mean, just the number of, of respondents to Bellamy is ridiculous. And, and what Bellamy was doing is not, uh, uh, we, I think, didn't we get a mention? Yeah, we got quite a bit of mention of, um, William Morris, right? Yes. And, and his dystopia, uh, yes. utopia, not dystopia. Um, and, and, and this as a response to that, right? Um, and the way it works again is a guy falling asleep, waking up in, in the future. Um, <laughs> and yeah, 1984 dispenses with that, right? We're the sleepers. We wake up into the 1984 future with that great opening sentence, much improved from the original draft, right? <laughs> oh, much, much improved. How did, how's the 1984 open? Anybody got it memorized? It was a bright, cold day in April. It, it, clocks are striking it, 13. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. A bright, cold day. I, I think it's probably not exactly right, but. I think that is, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Um, but, uh, you know, what the radios were broadcasting that it was 13 is not quite as good. He, he was a very good writer. Orwell. Yeah, that was really cool seeing, like, hearing the, um, the previous drafts Absolutely. and how he crafted that. And how, what he took out, right? Leaving out, uh, the anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and uh, just cause it, he, sh- he, he was a really interesting, I, I think coming out of journalism and, and being so, his personality, what I, I gather from it, from this book, um, cruel to everybody's babies, right? Killing everybody's darlings. But because it comes from a fundamental place of honesty, mm-hmm. right? I, I struggle with this myself. I'm just writing a review of a comic book that sucks. I'm like, I paid money for this. They're doing a bad job. This is what makes it bad. And other people are like so tentative and trying to look at the bright side. No, no, it's bad. And this is why. And yet I have no animosity to the people who are doing the job, uh, you know, of being the artist and the writer. They're just hired, right? They're getting paid. They need to pay their bills. I'm not trying to be mean, but reality, you know, what, what was that quote? Uh, did you guys see it? Um, it's from this book that I kept, I kept tweeting this week. You guys probably didn't see it because I probably didn't at you. I don't, I don't want, I feel like sometimes I'm being mean when I at you, Marissa. I, I say, what? here's another thing. <laughs> oh, no, I love the things. They brighten my day. <laughs> the, the thing about 13, <laughs> the thing in the drawer, right? It's like too much. I feel like because it's, you know, you don't get to send a smile with it sometimes. Or maybe it's not appropriate. Send a smile with a, a thing. With things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, there was, a, there was a, a quote from The Lower Depths. Did you guys, did you guys see that one? Got, it got quite no. a bit of traction when I sent it out. Let me see if I can find it. Um, which I've never read, but uh, now I want to. That's one of the books I guess I made note of. Um, uh, Lies of the Religion of Slaves and Masters. There you Truth go. is the God of the Free Man. For the Lower Deaths by Maxim Gorky. Right? Doesn't that make you want to read that? Can you say it again? Lies, Lies of the Religion yep. of Slaves and Masters. Truth is the God of the Free Man. Hmm. And and that uh, it's funny is is the quote in the book this book biography of George Orwell is not that quote uh, because the author Linsky sort of gives the spirit of the of that I guess it's a play 
The Lord Apps? I haven't read it. I don't, I don't really know anything about it other than it was, it sounded fascinating. Um, it, uh, the, so the quote is not exactly there, but that's sort of the theme that goes throughout the, yeah, it's a play. <clears throat> a drama in four acts. Um, I, I just think that that's, it's telling me something true. Right? Mm-hmm. That as hard it is, as hard it is to identify the truth, and it is very hard, very, very, very hard. Um, if you don't have truth as your God, as your thing that you're always focused on, you're fucked, basically, is what I think. Cause then it, you can't, how can you act on principle if you don't know what, what, what is, what is going on? That, that's why he goes like, if, if you had to, Evan, if you had to fight mm-hmm. in a war in, if you were forced to fight in a war, you know, on the front lines in world, uh, in the 20th century, what war would it be? Spanish Civil War seems like a good one for me. Yeah. I agree. I, it's not that I, uh, I, and, and yet, you know, of all the, all the fascist dictators, <laughs> he's probably the least worst, right? Franco. Uh, I, I know almost nothing about him, so maybe that's completely wrong. But of uh, all the fascist yeah. dictators of the 20th century, uh, he seems to be the least worst. Of but the that's famous the one three, where a war, you can see a war having stopped. Right, right. Like Hitler emerged through the institutions of the Weimar Republic. Mussolini, he just sort of took power, right? At one time. But there was no conflict, really. No. So it was the one one place there was a battlefield in which fascism could have been halted. And and the argument you know the argument of you know saying World War Two was a battle against fascism. Well, yeah, it is. It was. In, yeah. In a certain sense, right? But it was caused by World War One, which was not a battle against fascism. Battle against more imperialism by rivals, I guess. But yeah, it people thinking that the good war was. World War II, I guess. I don't think there's any good wars, but if I, if you forced me to choose one, Spanish Civil War sounds terrible, but it's not, not, it's better than the Vietnam War as a moral cause, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- what about the rest of you? I had to, if I had to pick a war uh, to fight? Yeah. Yeah. If on principle, y- you were trying to, you know, this is sort of Mice's question turned on it its head, right? Question. Because well, the oh, the international brigades were the the people who were fighting for their principles, right? No, right. no nobody nobody said to um, who's the famous doctor who went to fight in the Spanish Civil War from Ontario, Mice. Norman. Uh, the only famous doctor I know is Doctor Who. No, no, Norman Bethune. <laughs> you know the doctor? Oh, no. Uh, Evan, oh, do you know about oh. him? Uh, yeah, no, I can't remember his name though. Uh, Norman Bethune is his name. Right, right. Um, you, Evan, have you heard of this guy? Uh, no. Okay, because he. I know more about the Abraham Lincoln Brigades. Okay, so, uh, uh, the, he, he was a famous doctor in Ontario, communist, and he went to fight in the Spanish Civil War, and then after he went to fight in the Great Patriotic War in China. Um, as a doctor. So, 
the the doctoring part was he was like doing battlefield surgery and the reason he's going there is because he thought it was the right thing to do not that it was uh you know he wanted to kill nazis he just thought it was the right thing to do sorry i'm having recording problems here <laughs> um so what's the uh the upshot of this is um if you had to go fight in a war you want to fight for uh, a principle and all the people who went to the Spanish Civil War didn't do so, uh, except, I guess, some Nazis uh, were uh, ordered there. But all the international brigades, all the people from outside that, that conflict were not supported by their governments, right? It was independent parties within each of those countries or just individual, like uh, Hemingway and uh, Bethune and obviously Orwell and many, many other people said, this is wrong, we stand for principles, we, we have some social movement, some idea of a utopia that we want to see in the world, and then there's these bastards who are trying to crush humanity, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. What war would you fight for? What principles would you... F- oh, it's a very hard question. I hadn't thought about it before this, but I'm putting it to you all now. And all you podcast listeners, too. <laughs> don't at me on Twitter. I mean, you can at me if you want. Yes, yes, at you on Twitter. No, I don't care. <laughs> well, I um, I started reading from this book, the Orwell's, um, his Catalonia book mm-hmm. about the war. And I like how he went into that, like like you said, with that idea of like fighting fascism. And then, um, like, even who he's fighting with just sounds so cool. Like, the idea of that no one getting orders they have to have the orders explained to them and then if they agree they can then follow the order if they feel like it (laughs) it doesn't sound like a way to run an army though no no no, it's the way to run the pirate ship right if you're saying like what ideals you're fighting for like that sounds cool and then i also like how he changed his mind and truth became more important to him than that like his passage through that war just sounds amazing Mm -hmm. i mean i'm only a couple chapters into this book but but i think it's fundamentally important to like, I don't think you get 1984 without that. You, you would yeah. get other stuff. You might have got that, uh, you know, uh, well, keep the ap- aspidistrus flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, he found what he would fight for yeah. go through going there and like experiencing yeah. that and figuring it's so hard to just like know. And thinking, thinking yeah. on paper is what, uh, like he seemed to have done really, really, really well. Mm hmm. He said, uh, he said everything, everything that I wrote since then. Was directly or indirectly against totalitarianism and and for democratic socialism. Um, like I I couldn't I I couldn't answer your question, Jesse. I I don't know what I don't I don't know enough about wars to be able to say I would fight for such a war. Mm-hmm. But I I also like the whole concept of war is just so so fundamentally wrong mm-hmm. to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I could answer such a question. I like his answer. A fight for democratic socialism. I like the like. Yes, if if it would bring about a world where everybody was see so so Pollyanna, where everybody was treated on equally and and had enough to eat and you know and and wasn't miserable. Okay, I could fight for that war. But I don't know how to answer your question. Mm. Yeah, probably the truth for me is like I'd probably just lie down and die and pretty much right. eat war. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't do this. 
I, I used to say my answer used to be, I guess I posed this to myself before. Um, if, if you were conscripted in World War II, what, what would you, <laughs> what would your job be? I'd like, I'd like to, uh, uh, serve Alan Turing coffee, you know, be in the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. making sure that he's well fueled and, and that I'm sort of thing. Buying coffee for him. <laughs> but, uh, the th- but the, you know, if you follow Turing's story afterwards, right? Um, his country didn't respect or love him, not in the way that it supposedly does now. It, At least the government him. and the ministries and the, all the horrible, you know, laws that were administered and applied. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, your country can't love you. Um, I, you can love Big Brother, I guess, if you get enough torture. And Big Brother loves you. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. To I like, don't think Big Brother does love you. I think it's the other way around. You love Big Brother, and that's mm-hmm. your right. Big Brother doesn't care. Yeah, and the, the mustache is not a Hitler mustache, right? In Big Brother, Big Brother's mustache is a bushy, must, bushier mustache, like yeah, it's it's more Stalin than a yeah. mustache. More, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But Big Brother is the fusion of all that's worst in Stalinism, Nazism, and, and in, hu- and, and in and, ourselves, right? And yeah, and, and yeah, and cap- yeah, and in uh, capitalism. So yeah, it's no, no, no one escapes the tar brush in 1984. Everyone to say, "Oh yes, it's them," but yes. You know, another book almost- not mentioned in—I uh, don't think it was mentioned in the back end—is Little Brother, which is a very important book, I think. Um, oh, oh, the Cory Doctor. Yeah, the Cory Doctor novel. Yeah. Um, uh, I think there's a sequel which I didn't read. Um, I, I haven't read that either. I'm not a. Um, I, I think Cory Doctor is a really, really good thinker and a very good public speaker. But I, I'm not a huge, huge fan of his prose. Um, there we go. Um, neither is the truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's uh, an important book and a, and a good book because it's dealing with um, how to fight against Big Brother. And Big Brother is your government, you know, your institutions, your um, – I've got one of these devices I got as a gift, uh, one of these Alexa devices. And – Oh god! I, oh, god. I don't use it. Um, drown it! Drown it! I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and give it back to a, the person who gave it to me because I love that someone gave you that. Do they hate you? Wow! Yes, it's the monkey's paw. Like I, Alexa's paw. I want to buy a new Android phone at some point, but I can't because they all have the uh, button on it that's built in that you can't turn off. Right, yeah, that is the uh, assistant button, and, oh, yeah. and it's not that I'm a, I'm, I'm particularly worried about about it listening because honestly, I live my life pretty publicly. And there's you know I won't give you my passwords to my bank account, but oh. everything. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I need that money to pay some bills. Um, but other than that, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not worried about what the government is. You know, spying on me. I I just think, on principle, it's a bad idea for us to be um, submitting. Yeah. So yeah, it is literally well, the vice yeah. that can watch. It's yeah, sure, it's got a switch, and that's reason it has a switch to cover up the camera. 
is because of of this book, right? Uh, of 1984, not this particular book, uh, but the the original book, 1984. The reason it has uh, a switch that you can switch to turn the camera off is because of that. Does it turn the microphone off? Probably not. It's a physical switch that can cover think, the camera. At this, at this point, I don't even think that you can turn any. You can turn it off if you want to, but does it mean anything is off? Well, look, uh, I have a phone that I can remove the battery from, and I, okay. my understanding is, I was talking to my mom about this yesterday. Um, she had a former tenant who was uh, sensitive to radio frequencies, you know, or maybe his kid was. I can't remember. Um, so it, electromagnetic fields were a problem. So he, 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 she told me that he was keeping his cell phone in a lead line box. I'm like, why doesn't he just pull the battery out? Um, and, uh, she said it, it's still, it's still on even when it's off. I'm like, really? And apparently it is, you know, um, it, 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 it's off in a certain sense, but it's also on. If you can physically remove the battery, you're pretty much turning it off because it has no power source. Uh, but other, uh, you know, all, have you noticed that a lot of the devices that we have now, they don't have off switches? Like, uh, I've got a, an Android TV box. And I can say, I press the button on it, I say, NVIDIA Shield off, and it turns off. But then I press the button again, I say, NVIDIA Shield on, and it's on, right? Because it doesn't, <laughs> it does not have an off switch. <laughs> and it, it has vampire sucking power, right? It, it, like, if I want to actually disconnect it, I have to unplug it from the wall. So, the book is in... I think there was a question at the time whether the book was going to be relevant after yep. 19, 1949. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or even after 1984. Yep. In the right. Uh, so, there's one, bo- there's one book I want to mention because he only mentions the name of the author. I knew which book he was talking about, but he doesn't actually talk about the title. So, I was curious if any of... You had read B.F. Skinner's Walden 2. Ah, yes. It's mentioned. How is it? It, It's a really interesting, weird book about a quasi-utopia that the the protagonist realizes is really a weird – really a dystopia, but the the people inside don't seem to know it. And there's a creeping sense of that this dystopia utopia is just going to spread and take over eventually like a – like a like a spreading colony, and there's nothing he can do about cool. it. It's a, it's a very like totally my kind of book. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a very creepy, odd, weird book. I would like to I like to talk more about it. He's just like novels like P.S. Skinner, like, like oh that's Walden too, and then he doesn't bring it up again. It's like dang it, no one talks about this book. Mm. It's yeah. really well, maybe good. there's a podcast uh, in there. I don't know it's, if there's an audio book. If there is, we should do a podcast. Yeah, on. I think there is. I think I have it, but oh. I haven't listened to it because. It, out of nostalgia, I bought the uh, the audio book. I think I need to read Walden first. It's, it's based on the idea that positive conditioning is more positive reinforcement is more powerful conditioning than negative reinforcement. Mm. So uh, he declares that's what uh, Jesus was using, and that's why it's so powerful. Mm. And um, so it's sort of like the Brave New World side, where you use pleasure. Uh, um, rather than the 1984 side, uh, side where you use fear to to control people. Mm. It does, there does look like there's an audio book floating out around there, there somewhere. Is. It's in my library. I think it's on Audible. I think I bought it on Audible. I, I note on the Wikipedia entry, um, it says, News from Nowhere, 1984. 
Skinner published a follow-up to Walden 2 in an essay titled News from Nowhere 1984. It details the discovery of Eric Blair in the community who seeks out and meets Burris. I guess that's a character from uh, yeah. Walden 2. Confessing his true identity as George Orwell, Blair seeks out Frazier as the leader and the two have discussions which c- comprise the essay. Blair was impressed by Walden 2's, quote, lack of any institutionalized government, religion, or economic system, a state of affairs that embodies, quote, the dream of the 19th century anarchism. Well, that sounds sounds interesting. I've heard of the book. i never read it. Hmm. Well, maybe we should put it on the schedule. Of the I'll yes, put it on the schedule of potential sounds things. Sounds good. Yes, Do it. Put it on the bottom there. I, uh, it's on. It's on the Audible. I, in fact, I didn't buy it. How long I, is it? I was. It's uh, nine hours and twenty-five minutes. Nine and a half hours. Hmm. I think I was tempted to size. to buy it, and probably because I really liked. Uh, I read the book uh, decades ago. I believe. I, really uh, cool. I believe that 1984 is about ten hours, which is a very good length for a book. Um, you know, if you have to, if you have a lot of interesting ideas to say, ten hours is is a reasonable size. I think this one we listened to was thirteen hours. It feels. I I, I think there's a five hour version out there as well, an abridged version of 1984. Yeah. It's because it's so well it's so well written, right? It's yeah. Everything's doing work, and so much is suggested. Mm-hmm. On Audible, 1984 is uh, roughly 12 hours. Okay. Some of them are a little longer. Some yeah, there's a five-hour version on there as well. For some, uh, uh, but uh, some, I think some of them don't include the appendix. <laughs> ah, yes. And the appendix is important. I mean, yeah, excising the appendix is, yeah, is, 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 is engaging in uh, revising history. Yeah, it is. Uh, but, like... You know, you don't read the Dune appendix. <laughs> like, yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes. Read, no, what I mean is, you don't read it like it's a part of the novel, right? You read it, but you don't read like just like the Tolkien appendices, right? You don't read them as a part of as a part of the uh, narrative. And reading it that way, I think it's important that it's there, but I don't think it's a. It's a or uh, what's the one um, that's mentioned? Also, another good show to do. Clockwork Orange, right? Oh, yeah. That one has a very important appendix. And also that one has a, a, a missing chapter, usually, I think. Yep. A, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, because they mentioned in the book about it being edited out, yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's important. It's important to keep the book as Eric Blair intended. <laughs> Eric Blair, who I thought was really um, funny. Where's my list of things that he hates? At the beginning, the guy's talking about how the, the things that he thinks make socialism unattractive mm-hmm. to, uh, in some people is vegetarianism, teetotalers, nudists, Quakers, sandals, fruit juice, yep. Marxist jargon, the word comrade, pistachio-colored shirts, <laughs> birth control, yoga, and beads, I think. <laughs> uh, and wow. This is all before the 60s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was so cool. Like, oh my God, give me such a picture of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the things that someone hates. He was, really he was anti- anti-hipster socialist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And uh, he's right. I mean, 
And, and those are not the things that attract <laughs> me to socialism. Yeah. Pistachio colored shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't look good in green. <laughs> That's funny stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's I, a good picture of him. I think we did a good job with this. Yes. It was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Fun read. Mm-hmm. was. So much to think about. So many lists of things to look up. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Maybe maybe we can have a little preamble. I definitely want to talk about booking other shows after. Um, yes. So. Uh, yeah, I, I can't stay too late. I have a meeting somewhere in this city. I'm in and New I'm York. Gaming. Now. New York, right? Okay. Let's. And I, at two. Okay. And it's ten a.m. now. So. Oh well, we will we will definitely be done within four hours. I would think. <laughs> I hope. But I gotta get there, and, and this big city confuses me. All right. I've probably been here ten times, but it's been a while. Ten times more than me. I'm in the so I'm in the southern part. If it was which city other, is it? New York. Oh, if I was if I was north of First Street, you know, I could find my way easily. But down here, in the Lower East Side, kind of confusing. I I think I probably know more street names in New York City than I do in Vancouver. That's because of media, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, and mostly Marvel Comics, I think. And New York is the center <laughs> of the universe. I, I heard there are more murders in New York on TV than in real New York. <laughs> that may not have been true in in the height of of crime in the 80s, but now, yeah, I think it's Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I got a Goodreads open. I've got uh, Google thing open and the very brief oh what hey uh, i'm adding marissa luckily uh she's not on the schedule (laughs) i will add her marissa okay going down to the m good thing she came in before the preamble ended if i can find through the m there she is Hello. Does that work? Morning. Good morning. We didn't forget you, not at all. Oh, I saw Mice's name is on the thing, and I was like, "Uh oh." No, it just it just goes without saying that you're you're always on the schedule. <laughs> it's mixed up. Is Mice here as well? Hi, Marissa. Ah, good morning. Hi, Marissa. Cool. I don't know how I didn't put you on the schedule. I think it was uh, uh, it was double think or something. Yeah. I mean, you sent me the book and stuff, so I figured that you knew. I sent lots of people the book. Um, I sent a whole bunch of people who are never going to be on. Uh, I just I thought, oh, this is a really cool book. Everybody should want will want to have it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I didn't put your name on there. It's been a while. For me? Yeah, I'm just looking. You were not here for Police Your Planet. Uh, you were here for yes, uh, exhalation. Yeah, that was the last time I was. Here I did too. Think exhalation. You know, you were. Were you here for exhalation? I think, I think she wasn't here. Uh oh. It says you're there. It says Evan is 
<laughs> Evan question mark Paul absent. So this schedule has definitely been tampered with. Somebody <laughs> doing Blame their fat job badly. Okay. Mm. I've been not able to get any work done since coming to America. <laughs> I've been trying to start this new series for the podcast. I noticed there hasn't been a new show since the beginning of July. Well, I uploaded all the Lincoln stuff, and then the next series is going to be 20th Century Girls, and I'm going to do the Futures Female, and then I'm going to do some Wharton. I got a whole list, but I haven't. I I, I started reading House of Mirth, and I got so bored. <laughs> that You're in the States, even? Yeah, and then I got all this stuff with my parents, remodeling the house and everything. Oh, wow. Did you move, or are you just here for a little while? I'm just, every summer I'm here for about six, seven weeks. Ah. Get out of Asia. But, you know, this this year I haven't been able to do much work. My excuse is that... Um, so it's going to be a while before you get my, my 20th Century Girls series. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my excuse is all my mom's dogs are sick. Uh, my mom's sick. My sister was in hospital. Um, oh. But I'm feeling better. <laughs> so, <laughs> other than that, everything's fine. Uh, but I did uh, I did see a, there's a lot of empty slots on the schedule, and I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. So, um, I saw that and I was like, whoa, that's so unlike you. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's good. very un-Jesse. Yeah. So I, th- I think the clock is striking 13, Jesse, so we should probably get started. Yeah, um, before we do that, Paul, I want to confirm uh for some reason a world of talent was not on the schedule now it's on the schedule um, i see that it has two question marks one beside marissa's name and one beside evan's name um and i guess we assumed i guess we planned to do this one but i don't remember that so i think i was my recommendation okay so all right that explains it yeah uh so is september 1st good for everybody because that's how we'll we be- have it there I'll be I'll be back in China, back that, behind the firewall. That's fine though, right? Yeah. All right. And then um, Mice is in for the day after that, and so is Terrence. Um, by the way, Terrence, you're in, welcome to join us for Philip K. Dick. It's uh, not an exclusive club. Is it a long one? No, it's. I think a it's a shorty. I think. Okay. It's not a novel. It, it's like, it's an hour and a half or yeah. so, right? Yeah. No, that's okay then. So, does that mean I would, I would love to be on the schedule, Jesse? Oui. Please put me on? Oui, j'aimerais bien. Oh, I, I don't speak French, honest. so I'm going to assume that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Is there, isn't there a law that Canadians have to speak French? Oh, wait, no. Je parle français un peu. Uh, ah. But you have to remember uh, that the French we speak is... Um, from like 17th century. Quebecois, yeah. yeah. Quebecois. Yeah. And uh, I, I did much better in German class than I did in French class, which is ridiculous. But They, they just fucking teach everything wrong. They tell you, bonjour means hello. It does not fucking mean hello. <laughs> bon <laughs> means good. Jour means day. Say fucking good day. Now I'll understand. They teach it wrong. Wow, okay. Whoa. Oh, oh, Jesse, I apologize. Seriously, oh, they teach so much wrong. Well, Nihao is like literally you good. You good? I'm good. But every, it's translated as hello. Essentially, yeah. it means hello. Yeah, but that's it, it'd be better to translate uh, like if you're going for comprehension rather than rote. 
but there's also kind of the social use of it, right? It's yeah, uh, yeah. Meaning is not meaning. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. We started the podcast the already. Here we go. Um, and Marissa, it's good for you. September first. Yeah, I think so. Somebody's grinding coffee. Somebody's what? Grinding coffee. It sounds like. Oh. Whose mic is that coming from? I don't know. I can't hear it, so. It's gone now. Well, I hear something. In the background. Not here. All right. So uh, was that a yes, uh, Marissa? Yeah, I think I can do that. Oh, okay, good. All right. Um, I'm going to put that on there. And then, um, yeah, there is another one on the schedule. And I have also got some ideas uh, that I put out there for people on Twitters, but I, I don't have those handy right now. I think one is a Robert E. Howard and uh, a Con- uh, Robert E. Howard Conan, and there's another. Uh, maybe at Francis Stevens, that's what it was. Um, which which should be exciting. Oh, yes, I know what it was. Um, so what it is, is if you guys remember Pro- uh, Protecting Project Pulp podcast, um, mm-hmm. the editor behind that, a um, friend of mine, uh, gave me access to the archives that he has, and uh, now we can have all their audiobooks to use as podcasts. Oh, cool. Yeah, so... Oh. There's a couple of Francis Stevens and Robert E. Howard stories that I awesome. immediately wanted to do. And then it's, it's you know, old pulp stuff mostly. But yeah, should be fun. Cut it up and use it again. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, all right. Here we go. You ready? Ready. Um, Jesse, Paul, um, mm, Marissa... Jesse, Paul, Marissa, Edmund, Terrence. No, don't forget Misa. Oh, Misa. Oh, we're the same person. Terrence. (laughs) Jesse, Paul, Marissa, Evan, Terrence. You got it? Where did you say I was? I don't remember. Misa's before me. Jesse, Paul, Marissa, Misa, Evan, Terrence. There we go. Yeah. There we go. God, this is getting insane. (laughs) (laughs) Just just remember your spot. We can do this, people. (laughs) 